Well, hello, everyone. This is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky somewhere within the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you for joining us. Today is Thursday, November the 9th. 2023, and we're so delighted to have a returning guest, uh, a man who is no stranger at all to our audience, Nathan Jones from Lamb and Lion Ministries. Uh, he's going to be with us to talk about uh, the uh, one of his uh, books, uh, 12 Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets, and this is the kind of a new edition of a book that first came out back in 2016, but he's calling this the Prophecy Edition, and I can't wait to uh, to dive in. We'll probably have to cover the material over the course of two shows at least, because he takes each of the minor prophets and talks about all of the prophecies from each of these minor prophets. So Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, the last 12 books of the Old Testament. So we'll bring Nathan on here in just a moment. I'll let him kind of introduce the topic, and I know it'll be edifying to all of our listeners. But I want to thank you, as always, for your uh, prayers and your support. We have the best audience in the world, no offense to Lamb and Lion Ministries, but I'll put our audience up against any uh, Bible ministry audience out there. You guys are just so wonderful with your encouragement, uh, your emails, your text, and uh, and I know you're, you're undergirding us in prayer. So I always want to uh, say thank you for that. Really appreciate it. You can, uh, if we can ever do anything for you, you can check it out at notbyworks.org. Notbyworks.org is where you'll find all kinds of free resources, videos, podcasts, uh, devotionals. Uh, we have an online store that has a whole a section of free materials that are available just uh, to anyone who wants them, uh, PDFs of articles and things. Uh, while you're on the store, you can check out some of the other items that we have for sale, uh, books, DVDs, a lot of streaming video. And of course, our premier content is uh, a monthly membership that we do a, a, a exclusive Zoom Q&A uh, with our premier members uh, about twice a month. And we also provide some members-only uh, uh, resources at the Premier page. So if you're interested in becoming a Premier, premier member, you can check that out at the online uh, store. And uh, of course, I want to mention, uh, I, I sometimes forget uh, to mention uh, the new book, Spirit of the False Prophet. It's been out for about a month now, Rise of the Global Technocracy. And Nathan and I were talking a little bit before we started the recording uh, about, uh, he, he's kind of reading through that book, and I can't wait to uh, be a guest on Lamb and Lion to kind of talk more in depth about it, but it's uh, definitely chock full of a lot of information about what's happening in this uh, rush toward a one world government. So you can learn more about that at spiritofthefalseprophet.org. Well, before we begin our discussion with Nathan, uh, I want to look at a quick passage of scripture from one of the minor prophets. I'm not sure we'll get to Habakkuk today in our discussion, but uh, Habakkuk 2.4 is a great passage that is quoted in the New Testament, and it's got a lot of theology behind it. Uh, I'll let Nathan, when we get to it uh, at some point, give you a little more of the historical context. But uh, Habakkuk writes, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And uh, of course, we know that the only way that an unbeliever uh, can be made righteous uh, before the Lord is by faith. Abraham believed God and was declared righteous, and more than 160 times the New Testament conditions eternal life upon faith alone. That's how we are made positionally righteous. But as those who are positionally righteous and in Christ, uh, born-again believers today, we also live by faith. Paul said we walk by faith and not by sight. So kind of a a little bit of a double entendre there in, in a sense that we, we we become righteous positionally by faith, but we also live out our lives practically and experientially by continuing to trust the Lord. And boy, there's no greater time to trust the Lord and no time when faith is more needed than in a time like this with the things are really coming unraveled. So uh, I'm glad that we're going to get to dive into the Word of God and let the Word of God nourish and encourage and strengthen our faith. So Nathan, thanks so much for being back with us. Uh, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you, Dr. Hickson. It's a, always a pleasure to be on, and uh, I think you have an awesome audience as well. I hope that actually both our audiences have some overlaps, because if people are tuned in, they love Bible prophecy, and both our ministries are loud and proud to proclaim it. Amen. Yeah, we ought to have like a big uh, tug of war or mud wrestling match between the the lamb and lion audience and the not by works audience that would be fun but a lot uh of broken hips 
<laughs> yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> well, yeah, a lot of a lot of hips that have probably already been replaced. But uh, yeah. anyway, Dr. Nathan Jones, uh, where can folks uh, kind of find the book and find your ministry? Give us a little plug for what's going on in your world. Well, certainly. Uh, again, my name is Dr. Nathan Jones. I'm the Internet Evangelist and co-host of our television program, Christ in Prophecy, here at Lamb and Lion Ministries. We're a Bible prophecy teaching ministry, and our mission is to proclaim the soon return of Jesus Christ. And so we do that in a number of different ways. Uh, primarily, you can find out more about us and read up on all our articles, videos, uh, sign up for our newsletter, get a free magazines, um, social media. It's all on our website at ChristInProphecy.org or through downloading our, our app at the Lamb and Lion app available on all the major platforms. Amen. Well, praise God for that. So the book that we're going to be talking about today, I love the title, 12 Faith Journeys uh, of the Minor Prophets. This is the Prophecy Edition, just came out in 2023. And, and it kind of, you know, really goes hand in hand uh, with the verse that uh, we talked about, uh, Habakkuk 2.4, because the just shall live by faith. And uh, of course, you, you start out in chapter one, looking at Hosea, and the subtitle is Faith When Your Heart is shattered. So uh, take it away, talk about Hosea, and then uh, I'll chime in as we have an opportunity. Well, certainly. And and I, I want to encourage folks, uh, you're like, oh man, the minor prophets, that's going to be pretty dull. And that's how most people think of the minor prophets. Actually, I didn't even think about writing a book on the minor prophets until uh, I'm here on the second floor of our headquarters at Lamb and Lion. And I guess some guy before me had typed this, we had this little three foot door that leads to the attic. And he put a little sign over it said the minor prophets, you know, that guess that was his joke that the minor prophets live in our attic. And uh, I'd walk by it every day and the, the imagery kind of struck me because here you got a door to nowhere that nobody will ever go in and it's dusty and dirty and unused. And most people think of the minor prophets as the same way. It's the attic of the Old Testament. It's it's dusty. It's it's filled with angry God and and people under judgment. And, and there are some prophecies, but there's a lot of old history and it's confusing. And I was like, no, no, no. The, the minor prophets are a wealth of information. And so a pastor friend of mine, Steve Howell, and I was set to exploring the minor prophets from the faith perspective. So yeah, when we did a book of Hosea, we're looking at the time period, almost the end of the Northern Kingdom, Israel. It's about 740 uh, BC. And by 722, the Assyrians would have marched uh, all the, the people in the Northern tribes up and exiled them out of the land. So we know that there's a a lot of upheaval going on at this time period. And then so here enters Hosea, a faithful man of God, a prophet, and God sells him, go marry this prostitute Gomer. And so that's one of the things about the prophets. Uh, prophets, we had writing prophets who wrote books. We had teaching prophets who taught but didn't write, say like Elijah or Elisha. And then you have the acting prophets who their lives became symbols for the message that God wanted to deliver. And so God was using this to show that while he was faithful like Hosea, his wife Gomer, a prostitute who cheated on him all the time, was faithless like Israel. Mm. And so uh, eventually the sins destroyed Gomer. She ended up having to sell herself, put her on the auction block. And God told uh, Hosea to go and buy her off the auction block, redeem her. And that's exactly what he did. And that's a symbol for what God will do with Israel. He will, uh, once they repent and return to him and be faithful to him, he will redeem them and bring a believing remnant to him. So it's a beautiful story. Uh, I, I There should be movies on this because this is a really compelling story, JB. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it's it's one of the most dramatic uh, you know, stories in the Minor Prophets. It it preaches well because we can kind of uh, relate in a way, and uh, but it also reminds us of kind of our own walk with the Lord, doesn't it? Absolutely, and it's chock full of Bible prophecy. If you love prophecy, uh, they're called the Minor Prophets uh, because they're prophets, but. They're called minor and people think, well, you know, they write little shorter books and that they do. And there's not a lot of narrative on who the people are, but the prophecies in them are absolutely spectacular. So that was one thing that I thought was missing with the first edition of the book. So uh, when I wanted to approach the second edition, I wanted to include with each chapter, each minor prophet, a list of all the prophecies that could be found in that book and also list when they were fulfilled or when they will be fulfilled within the prophetic timeline. Obviously not 
I, I don't have dates except for historical dates, but I can tell you if it falls within the tribulation or the second coming or millennial kingdom or eternal state. And now that I have those appendices with each chapter, I feel like the book is finally complete. Yeah, it really is. It's a real handy resource, uh, you know, for uh, a number of ways you can do just for studying at like a commentary in a sense, the the minor prophets, but it's also got discussion questions at the end of each chapter. You can use it in a small group study. But like any good Bible teacher, and you're one of the best, honestly, uh, it has great application. You know, it's not about storing up information and getting smarter. It's about, you know, kind of the so what question. What do we do with this information? And the purpose of Bible study is to change our lives, right? Oh, amen. Absolutely. So we apply each of the principles from each of these uh, uh, minor prophets to our own uh, walk. So yeah, yeah, continue. Like for Hosea, for instance, uh, how do, do you have faith when your heart is shattered? I mean, Gomer cheated on him all the time. He loved her, and yet she was always sleeping around with other men. Two of his three children might not have been his own children. And so he had a shattered heart, and he had to keep his faith in the Lord. How did he do it? And through his life lesson, we can learn how to do that as well. And each of these minor prophets dealt with something that would challenge their faith. And as we read about them, we learn how to increase our faith as well. And now with this prophecy edition, we also learn how God's heart remains with his people, those who love him. And, and those promises that he gives in these prophecies throughout the minor prophets uh, apply, of course, to Israel as a nation, as a people group, to historical events and things future. But they also apply to us as Christians because we are his children. He's made promises as he loves us like a father loves a child. And we can learn a lot about God's heart and about God's love through the minor prophets. Mm. Amen. All right. So what about you? You ready to move on to Joel or? Well, uh, did you want to tackle just a few examples? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got the, the all the list of prophecies. That's the whole point. I even bookmarked it here on my oh, book. No so. problem. Yeah, There's 197 so, verses that you can in the entire book of Hosea. 96 are prophetic. So that's 49% of the book is prophecy. It's got four fulfilled prophecies, four having partial fulfillment, and 11 waiting future fulfillment. For example, yeah, Hosea. Okay. Let's, let's, let's talk about them. And I want to, especially, I know our, our listeners would love to, uh, to uh, kind of cherry pick a few of those uh, unfulfilled prophecies. What does Hosea tell us about the end of the age? Okay. So. Obviously, there's a numerous historically fulfilled ones. For instance, uh, that uh, prophecy in Hosea 1, 4 through 6, that Jehu's line, uh, the king at the time, his dynasty would end, Israel would be destroyed by Assyria. And we know that's exactly what happened. And Second hmm. Kings 15 and Hosea 10 answers that. Uh, and others, Hosea 1, 7, about Judah being devastated, but will also be saved. Well, that was historically fulfilled too. Uh, there's prophecies that are or even farther future, for instance, uh, Hosea 1, 10 through 11, is about how the Jewish people will be reunited as one nation, not two anymore, and David's house will rule over the united Israel. Well, that happened in our era, May 14th, 1948, Israel became a nation again. So we've got prophecies that are close to his, Hosea's time period, prophecies that go much farther out, and then you've got prophecies that, that go way out into our own future, uh, let's see here. What would be a good one? Hosea 2.18 says, In that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, and with the creeping things of the ground. Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them down, lie down safely. Now that's a prophecy dealing with the messianic kingdom. When Jesus comes and he rules and reigns over the earth, it's going to be a time of peace where there'll be no war. So that's for the millennial kingdom and then on into the eternal state. So you got historical prophecies, you got New Testament prophecies, and then we also have future prophecies. Wow, yeah, and for such a time as this, right? I mean, here we are dealing with all the uh, craziness in uh, is Israel. Uh, it just seems like the stage is being set like never before. But we've got to keep our eyes, and that's what you know. Studying these prophets will do is it reminds you that it's heading somewhere. God has a a plan. We've got to keep our high, eyes on the better day that's coming, and what a day that'll be when Christ comes back, makes all things new, rules and reigns, and perfect peace and righteousness and and judgment. You know, He is the Prince of Peace. As Isaiah says, Isaiah is not a minor prophet, but he's, uh, uh, you know, he is the, he tells us Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So, yeah, great stuff. So we're talking here with uh, Dr. Nathan Jones, Lamb and Lion Ministries, and the name of the book is 12 Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets, and this is the Prophecy Edition. And we're just kind of walking our way through 
the end of the Old Testament. And uh, so that's uh, Hosea. Let's uh, let's now let's move on to uh, Joel. Joel is one of my favorite uh, minor prophets. I, I frequently find myself going back again and again to chapter two and chapter three and some of the uh, just the end times uh, end times prophecies that he that he talks about. So yeah, let's let's move on to Joel. Okay, well, Joel was a prophet, and well, we don't know what time he was. There's arguments for both early dates and late dates. But what he did have is he had to deal with what at that time period was uh, the worst economic thing that could happen. Uh, in an agrarian society, having your crops destroyed by a locust swarm could have been the worst thing ever. And the Lord gave Joel this, these prophecies because he was saying the people had grown kind of distant from him and cold, and he wanted to snap them out. And sometimes the Lord uses natural disasters, and I still think he, he uses natural disasters, yeah. to wake the people up and call them to repentance and return to him. So that was Joel's people. Joel had to deal with having faith through devastating loss, because when you lost your crop, you were pretty much bankrupt, and that that was it. You were you you faced starvation at that time period. So Joel wanted to to let the people know that God still cared for them. He still wanted them to repent, and they did. And he restored their crops and restored their land. And he was faithful to them as when they became faithful back. That relationship was restored. So you're right, man. It, the book of Joel is a, a beautiful story about God's heart for His people, even when they're wayward. Yeah, and before we get to some of the uh, prophecies, let's just let's talk a little theology here. I know you're a great theologian as well as a Bible expositor. Uh, you know, you mentioned God using natural disasters. Absolutely, He does that. But how do we, you know, as we live in real time, how are we able, or are we able, to tell with with absolute certainty whether something is indeed a direct intervention of God to either judge or whether it is just a natural consequence of sin? In other words, you know, on one extreme, you've got folks that every time you know, there's an earthquake or or some kind of devastating thing. Oh, that's the hand of God judging, you know, America or judging this or judging that. Uh, on the other hand, you got people that say God is kind of hands off and he never does that. And it's all just natural. Is there is there some kind of uh, regulating principle to know how to distinguish the two in your mind? Well, that, that's an excellent point. Excellent question, because we know because of the fall that God cursed the earth and we've got weather disasters now. We read in the book of Revelation about the angels that control the winds. I don't believe that uh, you know mankind is affecting the weather as much as we think we are. God is sovereign and He's controlling. He He controls the weather. So we know then too that some natural disasters are His cause. He directly intervenes. We see here in the book of Joel that He caused a disaster to affect the Jewish people to bring them back to repentance. But then we also live in the end times. And Jesus said in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, as we get into closer to his return, that disasters would increase in frequency and intensity. And all the records show that natural disasters have been increasing in frequency and intensity as we're getting closer to his return. And no, regardless though, what the reason is behind it, I think JB, that we always need to respond uh, the way God wants us to, as he shows in the book of Joel. We don't know if if that disaster is meant to uh, be a judgment upon us, or it's natural, or it's just one of the birth pains leading up to his return. But the end result should be always the same. Repentance, return to God, and restore that right relationship with him. Yeah, anytime, you know, something like that happens, it should cause us to cry out to the Lord. We want to walk by faith. We want to ask, hey, what is God uh, you know, what is God doing through this? And on, you know, he where he may or may not be doing some kind of global intervention or global judgment as a birth pang, as you talked about, he, he's always teaching us. And so we we need to run everything that we see in life, in our experiences through the grid of scripture. You know, Proverbs 15, 31 says, the ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. And so that's a great reminder that when something does happen that sort of rattles your world, whether it's a, a major global event uh, like war or uh, a catastrophe or a mass shooting or anything that just kind of captures our heart and, and makes us really, you know, pay attention, we ought to then, you know, uh, say, what's the Lord trying to teach me through this? And, 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 and usually it can always be boiled down to he's strengthening our faith, reminding us to trust in him, right? Absolutely. Well said. 
All right. So what are some of the prophecies that Joel uh, talks about? Well, in Joel 2, 1 through 11, uh, just an excerpt, it says, Blow the trumpet of Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. And here's that theme that we see throughout the book of Joel, the day of the Lord, a day of God's judgment. Matter of fact, Jesus himself quotes this verse in Matthew 24, 29. And it's a prophecy that the land of Israel, like it was invaded by the locusts, will be invaded and devastated by the Antichrist and his armies during the day of the Lord or the tribulation. So this is a prophecy that could be applied to any disasters that befall the Jewish people, again, to get them to come and repent and return to him. But Jesus particularly used this in the context of the tribulation. So we know it's a future prophecy waiting fulfillment. Yeah. And uh, again, I, I love theology. I love systematizing scripture. And so you can't really talk about Joel 2 without talking about uh, Acts 2. So yeah, Peter also quotes some of Joel 2. What's your take on how Peter is using Joel 2? I know there's different viewpoints on it. Well, Peter was using prophecy after prophecy after prophecy to point to Jesus Christ. And what's amazing is that Peter, the very first message is when the Holy Spirit filled him and he gave it to all the people visiting during Pentecost in the Jerusalem was a message entirely built on prophecy to prove the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Uh, they had killed the Messiah, but he gave his life uh, for their sins. And when they put their faith and trust in him, they're saved. So uh, it just blows my mind that that we have pastors today that refuse to, to teach the 31% of the Bible that's prophetic <laughs> when Jesus himself taught prophecy, when the apostles, the very first message that the church began with was prophecy. Prophecy matters. Yeah. Now, the book of Joel, I forgot to mention, I'm sorry, 73 verses, 48 are prophetic. That's 66. So two thirds of the book of Joel is prophetic. There's no historically fulfilled prophecies in it, but you'll find three partial and 10 waiting future fulfillment. Yeah. I mean, not only did the church, you know, first major message in the church, Peter's Pentecost sermon, not only was it eschatological and prophetic, but Jesus' ministry began and ended with major sermons. The two biggest sermons he preached, the Sermon on the Mount and the Olivet Discourse, were both talking about the coming uh, kingdom and making reference to the coming kingdom. So yeah, prophecy, uh, you know, you mentioned 31%. Um, my estimate is half of that is is unfulfilled prophecy. Uh, so as I've said many times, if your church is not preaching about end times prophecy, uh, then they're part of the 84% club. They're only preaching 84% of the Bible. And if you don't, uh, if you're comfortable being in a, in a church that preaches 84% of the Bible, well, I don't know what I can tell you, but for my part, and I know you agree, uh, Dr. Jones, that, you know, we want to preach the whole counsel of God. And so these days, Amen. especially these days, especially. So, all right. Anything else from Joel? Well, Joel's got a lot of prophecies, but if we're going to make uh, six of them, I guess we should move on to Amos. Well, real quick, uh, because I love this passage, and you've kind of already alluded to it with Jesus' statement in the Olivet Discourse, but, you know, the cosmic signs that that, that Joel is talking about there in, in 2, 28 to 32, uh, you know, when, when, when we do shift into the return of Christ at the second coming to establish the kingdom, that's a major shift in God's plan of the ages, is it not? I mean, it's it it follows, as Joel predicts, that there would be ma an earthquake like no other and massive signs in the times from east to the west and those kinds of things. Uh, yeah, I just thought I would mention that. Any thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. It's one of the greatest, I think, of the Old Testament passages where mm. God says, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And then it goes on to the natural disasters. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So here we got a, a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's going to come just before the Messiah returns. We also get a prophecy here about nature responding uh, with a cataclysm, and it results in the salvation of a Jewish remnant. So we know that there was a partial fulfillment of this because there was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last days of the, the church age, but most of it is awaiting future fulfillment. So it's a the last days category or the, the tribulation and leading almost directly up to Christ's second coming. Yeah, and that gets into kind of the, the Acts 2 passage and uh, mm -hmm. 
you know, either way, whether it's, you know, partially fulfilled there and then completely fulfilled in the end times, or as uh, some uh, scholars believe, and I, I would put myself in this category, I think uh, Peter was just simply bringing up an example that, look, you shouldn't be surprised at what's happening here because the, the prophets predicted this kind of thing would happen. So I see a single fulfillment in Joel too, but either way, it's, it's hmm. definitely a major, major event that will find its full consummation at the glorious return of Christ. Yeah, the day of Christ is supposed to be like no other, right? The day mm -hmm. of his return, it's it's dark. There's some sign in the sky. We don't know. I loved uh, how kind of Tim LaHaye in his Left Behind series tried to guess what it was, and he, he made it seem like a giant cross in the sky. We don't know, but yeah. that day, the day of Christ, that's why the Antichrist assembles all his armies in Jezreel, and he's anticipating Christ's returns, and He's hoping to defeat Jesus when he comes back. And boy, he's going to be surprised, right? Oh, yeah. No, no, he will. And so will the beast and false prophet. Their reign of terror will end up being quite short-lived, and then they'll be cast into the lake of fire. But yeah, that sign of the Son of Man that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, uh, 29 to 31. Yeah, we don't know what it is. But one thing we can say with certainty is that Jesus says, you won't have to wonder. If you have to ask, is this Christ coming back? It's not, because when it happens... Everybody will know it from the east to the west. It will be unmistakable. So well said. Yes. All right. So Amos, the third of uh, the minor, we talked about Hosea and Joel, and Amos is faith through the fires of injustice, and that one really resonates uh, with me. I mean, we've all faced uh, false accusations and justices of life, some to greater or lesser degrees. But uh, let's talk about Amos for a bit. Well, Amos is an interesting guy. He's a sheep herder and fig pricker, which sounds like a terrifically boring job. But uh, God calls him to leave Judah and go up to Israel. We know the exact date is 763 BC. And he sees that the northern kingdom had become horrifically unjust. I mean, absolutely evil, evil people. So he goes up to the temple in Samaria, which was even supposed to be there. There should be only one temple in its Jerusalem. But they set up some golden calves, Jeroboam did, and the people were worshiping there. So uh, Hosea goes up and he starts declaring uh, God's judgment on the enemies of Israel. And he's getting the attention of the people. He's talking about Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, and Edom, and uh, Ammon, Moab, Judah. And then he finally gets to Israel. And of course, you know, we love it when our enemies are, are blasted by God. But when God starts calling us out on our own sins, not so much. And so... <laughs> He calls Israel out. They have terrific, horrific social injustices. The uh, the religious caste are, are a bunch of hypocrites. They've rejected God and created a false uh, justice. And so God gives Amos five different visions. And each vision is a picture of what Israel looks like to God. Uh, first, it's two of judgment that they deserve a locust invasion. And Amos begs, please don't, Lord, we're so small. And the Lord acquiesces. Then he wants to, God wants to burn Israel down with fire and, and Amos intercedes, but God says, okay, I'll, I'll, but then he sees this vision of this plumb line and it shows, you know, the plumb line uh, is a, used by carpenters to make sure that the walls are vertical and Israel is not, it's, it's totally about to fall over. And then he shows him a basket of summer fruit that's rotting and a vision finally of just the destruction of Israel. Amos can't, can't call the Lord asked the Lord to intercede anymore. He knows that Israel is just too evil to uh, let live. And that's kind of frightening, uh, Dr. Hickson, for me as an American, because while I was writing the, and studying Amos, the parallels between that and the Western world, particularly the United States, was absolutely terrifying because we are just as bad as the northern tribe of Israel. And if God, uh, you know, he didn't spare them. Why do we think that God's wrapped in an American flag and he'll spare us? I, I don't think so. Yeah, and of course, uh, Dave Reagan, uh, your your uh, colleague there at Lamb and Lion Ministries and the founder of that ministry, he's uh, been really uh, out on the leading edge reminding people of that for some time. One of the many things I remember hearing him say uh, at the different conferences that I've heard him speak at is, you know, talking about the judgment that uh, God really should bring on America. And you know, it's 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 one of those things that even unbelievers, uh, you know, who don't have a biblical worldview and don't think in terms of Bible prophecy and the God of heaven and that kind of stuff, um, 
you know, they're going to they're going to suffer someday, uh, you know, when we see uh, the vengeance of the Lord. You know, that's why it's called the great day of the Lord's wrath. It's a global outpouring on sin. But the amazing thing about our God, uh, and Dr. Jones, and I know you 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 guys know this well and you trumpet it as well, is that he he's not giving man he's not left us without an opportunity to escape that, you know, you, you don't have to be a child of wrath. You can be a child of God. And that's uh, the free gift of salvation is, is, is available. He says, come one, come all whosoever will let him come drink of the water of life freely. Uh, Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And as we're told again and again, in Scripture, particularly Romans 5, Paul actually calls it a free gift. This salvation is free. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. There's nothing we can do to obtain it. It's paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ who took your penalty and my penalty on the cross, was our substitute, paid our sin debt, defeated death, hell, and the grave when he rose again the third day, and now he offers that free gift to all who will accept it. But that's the key. We've got to accept it. He's not going to force it on anybody. So, I hope uh, folks that are listening to this program, and we never know in this age of technology where these programs will end up. People forward them, they download them, they repost them, they send links to people. So if you're listening to this program and you don't know for certain whether you're going to spend eternity in heaven, let me let me implore you, uh, you know, really make today the day of salvation. It's a one-time act. You don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops or sign a card or walk an aisle. It's It's a simple acceptance by faith that you're a sinner, that your sin has a steep penalty, but that only Jesus can forgive your sin and give you the gift of eternal life. So I hope you'll do that today. Wonderful. And that's what's amazing about almost all of the books of the minor prophets. Even though God's wrath, he's, he's just angry at people being so evil. He just wants everybody just to love each other and, and have a right relationship with him, a, a wonderful relationship that would be filled with such spiritual and uh, bound uh, bounty. And yet, that people continually reject him. We keep chasing after our own sin. And so even though God judges Israel and Judah uh, in these books, he almost always ends every book with a promise of restoration. See, God always sees the long picture that we miss. The long view is that God wants to populate heaven with people who actually want to be with him. And he provided the one and only way to be with him. And that's through the death, burial, and resurrection of his own son, Jesus Christ, on the cross and when we put our faith and trust in him, we're saved, our sins are forgiven, and then we become citizens of that kingdom that we've been talking about, that millennial kingdom. And that's the long view that God has. Uh, he wants us to be saved. And those who reject him, well, they get the choice. But those who accept him, those are the ones God loves, and he can't wait for us to spend eternity with him. Amen. And so Amos, uh, faith through the fires of injustice, you know, he's got uh, 146 verses in our English Bibles. 84 of them are prophetic. That's 58%. Uh, but let's highlight a few of those for us. Okay. Well, 12 were historically fulfilled, three partially, and four are awaiting future fulfillment. For instance, uh, Damascus being defeated and exiled, Amos 1, 3 through 5. We know that historically happened in 2 Kings 16, 9. So there are prophecies that are uh, current to that time period. But then we also have a number of future prophecies that are awaiting fulfillment. Um, Amos uh, 5, 16 through 20, for instance, for I will pass through you, says the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Here we got the day of judgment again. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? I will be darkness and not light. So Israel is going to suffer through the day of the Lord. And it's interesting is they currently they were exiled first the northern tribes and then later Judah by the Babylonians. Uh, but and then, and then they were exiled again by the Romans. So those are days of the Lord. They were days of judgment. But when it's day of the Lord, capital T tribulation, that's Daniel's 70th week prophecy. That's the seven year tribulation to come. And that's the future. So this prophecy is awaiting uh, future fulfillment. Yeah. And I love the way you say Israel shall, shall suffer through the day of the Lord, uh, because the day of the Lord, the tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel is just for Israel. I mean, the prophecy that God made and revealed through Daniel is for his holy city and his people. You don't see the church mentioned in Revelation after chapter 3. Uh, it's all about Israel. It's God's uh, the completion of God's 490-year plan for Israel. And it's one of the many reasons that we believe that the church will not be uh, here 
when the tribulation starts. That's why we call it a pre-tribulational rapture. Now, there are many other, uh, I think, ex exegetical uh, proofs of the pre-tribulation rapture, but one of the biggest is that the, the Jewish nature of this day of the Lord that Amos talks about. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's a lot of fulfilled prophecies in the book of Amos, but there's one that's really impressive, Amos 9, 11 through 15. It says, on the day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which had fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. And so this is a fantastic prophecy about the salvation of the Jewish people and the Gentiles as well. Israel is going to be rebuilt. The land will become fertile again, and Israel will become the prime nation of the world. You know, Dr. Hickson, we're watching the news and we're seeing the Hamas-Israel war. People are probably writing your ministry like ours, and they're asking, you know, what's the future of Israel? What is what's going to, is Israel going to lose? And well, the Bible says absolutely not. God has restored them back in their land. They will never be uprooted again. They will win every war that comes against them because God is on their side. And even when the whole world comes against Israel at the end of the tribulation, Jesus Christ will personally return to, to rescue them. So Israel is there to stay because God's purposes for the land of Israel, for the people of Israel, are under covenants. They will never be revoked. And the Jewish people, those believing Jews during the trib, uh, excuse me, the millennial kingdom, will be a priestly people that will guide the Gentile kingdoms of the world to see Jesus in Jerusalem. So God is, as uh, Paul said in Romans 9 through 11, he's not washed his hands of the Jewish people. He's still going to follow his covenants. There's still a place for Israel. And we are getting window uh, ringside seats, I guess I should say, uh, to be able to watch all this unfold right before our eyes today. Yeah, and and uh, what's interesting is that the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, uh, James, I think it is, quotes this very prophecy from Amos chapter 9. And so hmm. God is absolutely not through with Israel. Very good point. All right, so we've seen Hosea, you know, faith uh, when your heart is shattered, Joel, faith through devastating loss. Amos, faith through the fires of injustice. Uh, Obadiah. Obadiah is a short, uh, short little prophecy, and uh, this uh, you say is talking about faith when it seems like God has forgotten. Talk to us about yes. Obadiah. Well, we know next to nothing about Obadiah. He's a kind of a mystery man in a mystery time. But uh, one of Israel's most aggravating neighbors, I guess you could say, was descendants of their their brother, uh, you know, Isaac's brother Esau's descendants, the Edomites. Uh, the Bible uses the Edomites as a also as a word to represent the Arab nations. So what we see in the Old Testament, we're kind of living it now as the Arab nations. Of course, we know a lot of them aren't Edomites, they're Ishmaelites, but they are against the Jewish people. They want them destroyed. And God is bringing a prophecy down upon Edom for its unending hatred of the Jewish people. So we can find uh, of the verses, there's only 21. It's one of the shortest books, if if not the shortest, right? It's a uh, is is um Jew, let's see third peter shorter I, i'd have to look that up but there's only 21 verses eight of them are prophetic so 38 percent and there's no future prophecy in the industry these are about the prophecies about the destruction of edom in its time so there's two historically fulfilled prophecies in the book of obadiah yeah it uh 21 verses yeah so uh but you know i gotta look it up now third peter how many verses you mean there? third john you mean Ah, yes, thank you. I'm sorry. Yes, Third John, you're right. There yep. is no Third Peter, unless you have an apostate Bible. Well, I mean, I know you're a prolific writer and quite the Bible scholar, but I was pretty sure God had not uh, appointed you to write a 67th <laughs> book of the Bible. <laughs> 14 verses. Okay, so Obadiah is little longer than the book of Third John, and thank you. I've got a such a scholar here like Dr. Hickson to correct me. Yes, there is no <laughs> Third Peter. Oh, I tell you what, I can't tell you how many times I've misspoken and said things that uh, I'm just like, why did I think that? Sometimes our brain gets ahead of us, you know. Oh man, what, back way back in Bible college, uh, professors used to like to come up and ask us about uh, what we thought about the Book of Hezekiah, oh. and always get a joke out of all us, you know, freshmen, like we didn't know what book Hezekiah. Oh, I better look that one up. Yeah. Oh, man, I love it. Yeah. When I was uh, first out of seminary, a young man, I graduated very early from seminary. I went to uh, graduate from high school in three years, went on to college and got, you know, went straight on to seminary. So I was a pretty young guy for, for wow. seminary. And my first church, 
uh, I was 25 years old and you know, you've got a seminary degree, you're supposed to know everything, right? But honestly, one of my biggest fears, I, I remember it to this day, was going to uh, the senior adult uh, fellowships that they would have mm. uh, regularly, and they liked to play games like Bible trivia. And I was just scared to death because I just knew there was going to be some basic Bible trivia question and all the heads in the room were going to turn to me expecting me to know it. And I was going to prove myself to be, uh, you know, not as smart as they thought I was. So, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, no no problem at all. I mean, we all we all do that. So, anything else about Obadiah? Uh, just interesting. Uh, again, the prophecies are about Edom uh, being uh, destroyed, the punishment for their hatred of Israel, and this should be a quite the wake up call for hmm. Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran and all these nations that hate the Jewish people with such a satanic passion is that God will not tolerate that. Uh, their destruction is assured as long as they have that mindset. Not saying that that people from like their son of Hamas, you know, you can get saved and, and salvation is open to anybody. But as a people group, as a nation or as an entity, your destruction is assured if you go against Israel, because God yeah. promised in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, that those who bless Israel will be blessed, and those who curse Israel will be cursed. And you can be sure that Hamas will end up being destroyed. Yeah, and it's, you know, you talk about faith when it seems like God has forgotten, you know, for some 1,800 years. Uh, or 1900 years, you know, in 1800 to 1900 years, you know, Israel didn't have a homeland. And, uh, and the, you know, we have trouble trusting God from paycheck to paycheck. I mean, the God's people, his chosen nation, Israel, the apple of his eye, had to trust him for centuries. Uh, and yet God rebirthed Israel, uh, just as the scripture said uh, he will uh, in 1948, and he will regather them into the land. And so here we have one of their enemies that finally uh, gets uh, what's coming to them. And uh, we need to remember that God uh, is a, uh, you know, is faithful. He is a covenant keeping God. Amen. 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 All right. Are now, tackle, is there time to tackle Jonah? Uh, let's see. Yeah, let's do, let's do Jonah for sure. And possibly okay. Micah. We'll see. But Jonah, he's probably one of the most well-known uh, 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 prophets and uh even non-Christians kind of know the story of Jonah and the whale, so-called, but this is faith when you don't feel like it. I love that. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, my uh, co-author, Steve Howell, had a lot of fun writing this chapter uh, because that's true. Uh, Jonah didn't feel like following God. He he tried to go to Tarshish. Was it the time period was considered the ends of the world, possibly Spain or Great Britain? Uh, God wanted him to go to Nineveh, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, and we saw what the Assyrians did to the northern tribes. They marched them away into captivity, and quite brutally, the Assyrians were, were kind of the ISIS of their time period. They would strip you, put uh, hooks in through your nose or through the skin in your back, tie you up in a chain gang, and march you hundreds of miles up to captivity. So for good reasons, Jonah hated the Ninevites and didn't want them to be saved. But as we know, God used a big fish to reroute them. He went to Nineveh and just in a matter of five words proclaimed a message and even the king repented and that really ticked Jonah off. He wanted those people to be judged and uh, <laughs> they turned to God and for 150 more years, uh, Assyria was spared by God because of the repentance. Uh, that's the real story of Jonah. It's not the fact that the guy was swallowed by a big fish. The fact that God loves even people as evil as what ISIS would be today or Hamas is today, he would bring salvation to a Hamas jihadi if they turn to him in repentance. And what a what a merciful God we've got. Amen. Yeah, and and that's you know one of the things we need to remember is it's hard to pray for your enemies, but there are a lot of innocent people uh, suffering in Gaza right now. You know, not all uh, you know Palestinians, so to speak, are. Uh, you know, terrorists. And uh, so, I mean, we've got to just pray for salvation to come to these people. And, uh, you know, when people face this type of devastation and uh, sort of an end of the world as we know it for those people over there in the Middle East, I mean, there's all kinds of saber rattling, you know, ships are moving in from everywhere. Uh, the Mediterranean Sea is chock full of fighter, uh, you know, carriers and subs. And, uh, you know, it, it really causes people to think about their own mortality. And so we pray that the Spirit of God would uh, convict them and that they would uh, hear the gospel and come to faith. Amen. Amen. Now, fortunately, Jonah, surprisingly, 
is uh, got the least amount of prophecy in, in any of the minor prophets. 48 verses, maybe three prophetic verses or 6%. That's a little questionable. Uh, that we know Jonah's a prophet. We can actually read it outside his book, 2 Kings 14.25. He gives a prophecy. But the, the one prophecy that does matter is the one we read in Jonah 1.17. It says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly for how long? Three days and three nights. Well, we see that Jesus used this as a messianic prophecy. He told the the um, uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees that he was only got, not going to do a miracle for them. He was going to just show them the sign of Jonah. In other words, he'd be like Jonah, dead for three days or three nights. And it was a the first coming. It was fulfilled at the first coming. So it's a not a lot of prophecy in the book of Jonah, but at the same time, it's got the greatest prophecy because Jonah's life, his rebellion against God, Jesus used as an illustration to help people understand about the salvation he was bringing. Pretty impressive. Yeah, it really is. And, and let me elaborate on that three days and three nights. Uh, and I don't know where you come down on this. So, uh, uh, but I, you know, I've written about this. We've got an article that's in the free section of our online store. So folks can go to notbyworks.org slash store, uh, or just click the store button on our website and uh, in, then go to the free section. And there's an article called three days and three nights that really throws people when they hear that, because in English, when we say three days and three nights, we think 72 hours, right? Uh, but in the Hebrew culture, uh, and I've documented this in the article, uh, any part of a day counted as the whole day. So even though I know in English, it sounds like three full days, that's not what the text means. Remember, the Bible was not written in English. Uh, in this case, it was written in, in, in Greek and Jonah was written in Hebrew. So uh, so Jesus was in the grave on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That satisfies the the, uh, the actual meaning of the phrase. It was a Hebrew idiom. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of people have, because of the English translations of our Bible, have really tried to come up with other uh, t timing scenarios. And, you know, it's not that big of a deal. At the end of the day, we we, we don't have an actual, you know, video footage of, of the timing of the first century in the apostolic age. Uh, but we can come to some pretty strong uh, conclusions. You know, Harold Honer is kind of the preeminent scholar on that. I had him as a professor at Dallas. Uh, he's with the Lord now, but uh, he's documented pretty airtight uh, that indeed, Jesus was uh, the, the whole final week of his life. You know, he entered Jerusalem on Monday, um, um, March the 30th, 33 AD. Uh, even though we celebrate the triumphal entry on Sunday, it actually took place on Monday. On Tuesday, uh, he overturned the tables of the money changers, cursed the fig tree. A Wednesday, gave the Olivet Discourse. A Thursday was, of course, the upper room and then his betrayal in the garden and his arrest. By Friday, he was laid in the tomb. And on Sunday morning, hallelujah, he rose from the dead. So don't be, don't be too, you know, led astray by the phrase three days and three nights. And if you're interested, again, I have an article on that on our store called Three Days and Three Nights. But the main takeaway from Jonah, I just, I love this title. Uh, and, and I know you said that Steve wrote this chapter, but you know, faith when you don't feel like it. I mean, there are so many times when we really feel like God, especially in ministry, right? I mean, let's just be transparent here, Dr. Jones. There are times when, man, it's it's tough. You know, ministry's coming at you 100 miles an hour. You got the administrative tasks. You got the preaching, the preparation, the teaching, the podcasts, the travel, the conferences. And sometimes you just don't feel like it. Well, that's when we need to have faith. Amen? Amen. I, I like all those parts. It's the... Uh... <laughs> It's how bad the world is that wears me down. I don't know. I just turned 50 this week. And uh, after half a century, it's kind of like I wake up in the mornings now like Ugh, another day. Yeah. <laughs> I know that as Christians, we shouldn't think that. But I don't know. It just I'm so I, I just love the millennium. My doctoral dissertation was on the millennial kingdom from a Davidic kingdom aspect. And mm. I just love the thought that was that verse about how every man will We'll just sit under his vine and nothing will make him afraid. You know, I just oh, I long for that days in the millennial kingdom. So you're right. It, I mean, we're put here for a purpose to proclaim the gospel during this time. But it's very hard to live in this time, wouldn't you say? It is. And that, and that is discouraging. And and like you, I I look for that better day that's coming. It's in, in uh, you know, I, I, one of the prophets we didn't get to today, but we'll get to in a future uh, interview with you is Zechariah. And I love Zechariah 49. 
the Lord shall be king over the whole earth in that day. It mm. shall be the Lord is one and his name one. So we do look forward to that. But, you know, honestly, I just <clears throat> and I was just talking about this uh, with my wife. It just seems like, you know, I'm just so busy. I mean, you never slow down. I just never I'm always working, always have my laptop on my lap. No matter what I'm doing, I'm I'm just trying to do the next thing. And part of that is just, you know, the Lord's really grown our ministry in recent over the last, you know, two to three years. And we're just reaching various tipping points. And and I get it. But I just, uh, you know, I got to re continually remind myself this is what it's about. We're having the opportunity through interviews like this and, and gracious guests like yourself uh, to proclaim the gospel, uh, to get it out there. We don't know how much longer in America we're going to have that privilege, as as you've uh, talked about and alluded to earlier on the program. You know, God could bring judgment. Uh, the enemy could take over. We've already seen the cancel culture. So we just there's an urgency to the hour, which is what we're all about. Um, but uh, I love uh, that's a good good one to end with is Jonah, this idea of, you know, faith when you don't feel like it. So uh, any closing thoughts? Uh, wow, you, I think you said it best. Uh, I know when we get into Micah, if we get an opportunity to, faith when government has failed, uh, that's going to be a big one because we live in a time period where we're seeing our governments around the world fail for the purpose of ushering in a one world government. And exciting times, but certainly difficult and trying times too. So uh, I guess uh, to, to if I had something final to say is what is the message of the minor prophets? keep the faith. The just shall live by faith. Amen. Amen. So we end where we started. And yeah, that's a great teaser for our next uh, program. We'll we'll talk offline and pick a date uh, because I can't wait to talk about, you know, faith when the governments uh, fail, because we are seeing uh, a rapid, uh, you know, uh, one, one of the uh, conspiracy experts that I followed uh, talks about the totalitarian tiptoe. I call it the dictatorial dash. I mean, it is like <laughs> it's no longer a tiptoe. Boy, they are going full speed ahead toward the one world system. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jones. Always a pleasure. Uh, you know, say hi to our friends there at Lamb and Lion, Tim and uh, Dr. Reagan. And, uh, and and we just are so grateful for all you guys do. And uh, for, the, for our listeners, we want to say uh, thanks again uh, for all that you do. We've got a lot of great podcasts out there. Um, so, you know, be sure and check out World Events Update with Randy that we do every Wednesday. Had Tom Hughes on recently. We've had uh, our technology update, had Alex Newman on uh, last week. Uh, that was a powerful interview on how the global elite influence world leaders. So lots of great resources for you. Spread them around. And uh, as always, uh, just continue to trust the Lord, as, as uh, Dr. Jones said. So God bless you, everyone. We'll talk again soon.